Today we continue our Advent series, Waiting for God, with a reading from the Gospel of Luke. The song Mary sings while pregnant with Jesus is full of poetic imagery, much of it borrowed from the Old Testament. Listen to what God might be saying to us in this song of Mary. Luke chapter, chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on us to lowliness of... His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestor, to Abraham and his descendants forever. As Luke sets out to tell the Christmas story, he decides that four different times he will have characters on stage who break out into song. I would not take that literally if I were you, any more than when you're watching The Lion King or Hamilton. Uh, you've been to the zoo, lions mostly sleep. If you're lucky enough to find one awake, they might roar, they do not sing. And I'm pretty sure the founding fathers did not write the Constitution while they were dancing and singing. But it makes for a wonderful story, it adds texture. Scholars for a long time have noted that if you cut out Mary's song, the verses just before it and after it make perfect sense. But here's the thing. Song does something that dialogue alone does not. Namely, it plays on our emotions. When our kids were little, we were watching an episode of Reading Rainbow. And LeVar Burton was playing this clip of an alligator coming out of a Louisiana swamp, walking just a few paces across a narrow piece of land and back into the swamp on the other side. No music, no nothing. But then they set it and played it again to what I would call monster movie music, and he looked so sinister. But alligators always look sinister, so here's the real magic. The third time, the alligator came up, they played the clip, but they set it to ballet music. You would have sworn the alligator was in the nutcracker. It was gorgeous. But here's the thing, Luke does not just want us to be emotionally moved, to feel something. He wants us, he wants us to hear the lyrics. In fact, what he really wants us to do is say, oh, I think I've heard that one before somewhere. It's supposed to be familiar. Here's how I would explain it. You know how some people, don't raise your hand, know all the lyrics to the Beatles songs or Taylor Swift, take your pick. Well, in Luke's day, people hearing this song would have said, I, I know that one. Because what Mary here is doing, and Luke is writing, is echoing a song from the Old Testament by a woman named Hannah. Now, because most of us know more Beatles lyrics and Swift lyrics than we do Old Testament, let me just refresh your memory. It's in the book called 1 Samuel. Hannah and her husband can't have kids. 
So she keeps crying out to the Lord, praying, praying, and God hears her cries, and they learn they're going to have a baby boy, Samuel. And Samuel will grow up to be a prophet. He will be one of the first prophets in the Bible, even before there were kings. And that's what's crucial about Samuel. Prophets normally spoke truth to power to kings, but there weren't any kings. But the people were wanting a king. They desperately wanted a king. They kept looking around and going, everybody else has a king. Why can't we have a king? Give us a king. I would sort of paraphrase what Samuel says, but you got to hear his own words. Here's what it says. These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his courtiers. He will take one-tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and his courtiers. He will take your male and female slaves and the best of your cattle and donkeys and put them to his work. He will take one-tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves." And the people said, sounds good, let's do it. What? Samuel's warning is what kings will do. When Mary sings the song, it's in a way, same song, second verse. You know that phrase, right? I think I've heard this one before. In case of Mary, it's the Herod dynasty that will rule during the time of Jesus. And Jesus will speak truth to that power. It's warning. I was reading this week that there are four words in Mary's song that appear word for word in a history of Rome written at about the same time by a fellow by the name of Dionysius. He was issuing a warning in a way. He describes a moment when the empire, the Roman Empire, had, well, they'd been going through a kind of drought and famine, but they'd come into a bumper crop of corn. And not only that, but a neighboring nation had offered them corn as a kind of peace offering. They had so much corn, and he tells about how the Roman Senate debated, should we make this available and affordable to the poor? They had, they had to debate that. Before there were kings in the land, the tribes of Israel, if someone had a famine, they would share with those who were in need, but not during the time of kings. You know that phrase, we'll hear it next week, Christmas Eve, an issue by the Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And it just seems like we should have the choir sing and the strings and the brass. And because, you know, it's going to be Joseph and Mary going from Nazareth to Bethlehem. It's so quaint, so lovely. But there's another way to read that. In the Greek, you could just as easily translate it. Not that the world should be registered, but that the economy should be taxed. 
that the economy should be taxed. In some ways, what Mary and Hannah sing about are two competing histories, the people's history and the palace history. And it's pretty clear which one will run roughshod over the other. I have yet to wrap my mind around this, but at least think about it. Both testaments were written in response to war in which Israel lost. The Babylonians in the Old Testament, the Romans in the New Testament. What are we to make of the difference between the ways of God and the ways of kings? But here's the thing. It's not just same song, second verse. It's third verse and fourth verse. How many verses does this song have? It just keeps happening over and over and over again. Kings, you can call them presidents, prime ministers, they keep sending our sons and now our daughters into battle and they fight wars that are waged and financed with our taxes. And they run roughshod over the poor. It's the ways of the world, third verse, fourth verse, over and over. And these women sing these songs in the land of Israel. Closer to home, a lot of you know that I'm really fond of this book by Matthew Desmond called Poverty by America. Fond's not the right word because it just upsets you so much. He says, for instance, that among the advanced democracies in the world, America by far has the most poor. Not even close. He says, in fact, if you took our poor and said, we're going to start a country with just our poor, they would outnumber the population of Australia. Now, his definition of poor is not the poverty line because he says, what else are you going to call a family of four living on $50,000 in Portland, Oregon? They got to figure out, okay, prescriptions, utilities, groceries, what, what, what are we going to do? It's a familiar song. I, I knew Mary's song, we hear it every year. Sometimes you'll hear it set to music. Hannah's song is not as familiar. And so when I was looking back, I was a little bit shocked to find this one phrase. They both sing about how God's gonna bring the mighty down off their thrones and lift up those who have been oppressed. But then in Hannah's song, it says, for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. And I stopped in my tracks. I couldn't believe it. The pillars of the earth. It's the name of my favorite novel. I just recommended it to a friend. I'd been thinking about it. It's a thousand pages long. So I'm not going to tell you that everything that happens, except it can be easily summarized like this. A monk and some ordinary citizens are not just building a cathedral to the glory of God. They're just trying to make it in the world, try to make it a better place. But at every turn, the king and all of his minions, they just keep doing wrong and running them over, over and over again. And then you get to the last line and it's, it's powerful. Now, before I tell you how the last line reads, there's something about Mary's song that really fits here. When she talks about God bringing down the rich and the powerful kings and lifting up the poor who've been oppressed, she does it in the past tense. It hasn't happened. She knows that. Luke knows that. But the reason he does it, 
Luke is so certain, Mary is so certain of God's good future that they sing it as if it's happened, which is sort of what happens in the novel. Okay, it's a spoiler alert, sort of. You can see it coming, really. The king finally gets what he deserves. And something in you just sort of says, oh, thank God. But the last line, the monk, he says to himself, watching that the king's finally got what he deserves, he says to himself, well, now the world will never be quite the same again. And I remember the first time I read that, I thought, whoa, what do you mean quite? <laughs> Shouldn't it have said the world will never be the same? But no, he had to put in a little qualifier, quite. That's because the novelist and the gospel writer both know that if there's going to be justice, it is not quite yet. One more thing about the songs, plural. Hannah and Mary sing, and I'd never really thought about this before, but they're both bearing children. What does it mean to hear a song like this from a woman who's carrying a child? I mean, yeah, you could talk about how Samuel and Jesus are, you know, going to do something in the world, but, but what does it mean for all the children who are born into the world? This song. And then it reminded me of this tradition, the rosebud in the pulpit. When a child in our congregation is born, as Carla did today, we say the name of the child, we say the family. And sometimes, I, I've not always done this, but I've heard Carla do it. I heard Reverend Heston do it before. They end by saying, welcome to the world, and then the child's name. Welcome to the world, Sora. Welcome to the world, Bennett. I love that. From now on, I'm going to do that. I promise. Welcome to the world. But you've got to wonder, what kind of world are they being born into? And what, in the spirit of Samuel and Jesus, what are we going to do about it?